Hi everyone, welcome back to another edition of the No Name Podcast. My name's Ross Katzenbarnas. Today's the, the 3rd of May, it's a Sunday. Hope everyone's enjoying themselves on this weekend. Uh, it's a bit of Groundhog Day, but that's just what it is at the moment. Uh, I've got a special guest with me today. Uh, he goes by the name of David Hatley, aka Hatters, uh, aka The Turtle. Uh, the Turtle was a massive Collingwood fan. Uh, him and I have been going to the footy together for a fair while. Uh, we used to work together in the same building and have a little bit of Collingwood discussion uh, every, every now and again when we could. Uh, and and he's also a massive fan of common sense. Uh, and he doesn't like people that overcomplicate things, especially governments and, and those sort of organisations. So I'm going to have a really good chat with him today and I hope you enjoy it. So with me now, guys, is uh, David Hatley, a.k.a. Hatters, a.k.a. The Turtle. Turtle, Hatters, good to have you on the No Name Podcast. How are you today? Uh, no, my pleasure. My pleasure. Now, I've sort of mentioned that you're a uh, you're a big Collingwood man. I think that there'd probably be fewer people out there that are as passionate about the Mighty Magpies as you. Uh, how do you feel at the moment with there being no footy being played? Do you miss uh, it? Well, I, I think um, it's obviously the common sense decision given the, the circumstances. Um, I'm sure we'd all love to be being able to go to the footy and actually see the games being played, but the reality is um, the steps they've put in place, um, both federally and state, uh, we've got to roll with it. Um, mm. Hopefully, you know, things keep trending the way they are and, you know, maybe in about six weeks we actually get to see some some footy on, on the on the TV again. Yeah, I think I think if everyone does the right thing, I'm with you, mate. I think it's a bit it's a bit hard at the moment, but I think if everyone does the right thing, yeah, hopefully in six weeks, eight weeks, couple of months, uh, we can get some footy footy underway, especially AFL footy. I don't think, I think sadly, uh, there's local footy, uh, local footy and local sports will be lost for the winter season this year. Uh, that's just how okay. I see it. Um, that's just. Nothing official, but I think uh, yeah, I think if in a few weeks we've got some footy to look forward to, maybe uh, maybe it might lift people's spirits a bit. But uh, people just need to do the, the right thing. I know, I know you're no, uh, no, you're a big big pies man. If you've been, I know you've been watching a few replays over the years and stuff like uh, over this period of time. Take me back to your first, the first time you went to the footy, the first time you went to Vic Park or wherever it was. Where was it? When was that? Um, actually. The- First game I went to would have been uh, a Richmond Collingwood game, nineteen seventy eight. Really hard to remember the actual game itself. I know we just lost in a close game. Um, I went there with my mum um, okay. and, mm. and um, sat in the um, the punt road end. So. Well, probably weren't that actually that far from the Richmond Cheers squad to be honest, which was 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 quite interesting. Um, I remember running onto the ground, even though we lost, and sort of like um, catching up with Renee Kink and just thinking, like, how big is this guy? And um, mm. sort of got a bit of the footy bug out of that. There was a there was a, a guy at primary school that I was uh, good friends with, and his um, his parents had reserved seats in the Sharon stand, so. Occasionally, I'd, I'd get the opportunity if someone from their family couldn't go. I'd get to sit in the in the Sharon stand. Okay, and that was so, was that was that that was the is that that's the that, that's the stand behind the goals uh, at, at Vic Park. Uh, Victorian Park. Yeah. yeah. So that was the the, the old uh, the old the stand uh, behind the, um, the the cheer squad. Yes. Uh, so 
yeah. So yeah, they had um, they had reserve seats there, and um, yeah, they I used to go along with them. So I, I think probably probably the game I probably remember the most uh, for that time was um, 1981, Collingwood Richmond at Victoria Park, and the great Peter Dacos happened to kick nine goals that day. Mm. Yeah, he was. He would have only been about 19 years old then too, so it's not, not bad for a 19-year-old to go out there and kick nine. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a different... Yeah. Footy was a diff, Footy was very different then, wasn't it? Like, I read a lot of stuff at the moment now, I've got a bit more time, about sort of the older, the older games, and I think there was a stat that came out the other day saying, oh, on this day in 1993, John Longmire kicked nine goals, and that was the seventh highest um, goal-kicking total for that weekend or that day. Uh, yeah. Whereas, whereas oh, now, if, if someone kicks seven or eight goals, that's a massive, that's a that's a massive bag, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, like back then, I think the, the quarters were actually twenty five minutes and time on. Mm. And what you what you found is, I like when I also like look back at things as well that there was a lot of a lot of goals kicked in time on back then. Um, especially, you know, there was a bigger. I reckon there was a much bigger difference between the best teams and the and the and the, and the poor teams. Mm. I mean, you really had, you know, your likes of like St Kilda at the time, um, Fitzroy for a little bit of a period, but then, I mean, they, they sort of cut good in, in the in the early eighties. Mm. But yeah, like St Kilda would used to just be absolutely just non competitive. You know, they they'd get beaten by like a hundred twenty points at times. Mm. Yeah, I think I think that's probably one thing that the professionalism of footy is just cleaned up. I think with the fact that yeah. all the players are professional is that the the difference between player forty four on the list and player one is probably as small as it ever has been, and yeah. that's probably yeah. across all the all the clubs. So it makes it as you say, you don't get those situations where St Kilda, aka the Aints, have won twenty six yeah. or twenty seven wooden spoons. <laughs> but to be honest, I don't. I might. I don't know what you're like, but I don't have much sympathy for them. So as, as a football club, so they can, they can, uh, they can go and get, um, get stuff. But as you sort of said, so your was your mum. Your mum was a Collingwood fan, or was it just just uh, simply the fact that you I, just went to the footy that day? And I think I'm having uh, a look at the games from 1978. I think we played Collingwood. That is beat Richmond by 14 points at, in round 20 at the MCG. Was that the game that you remember going to? As the first yeah, one? I, actually, I, maybe, maybe I'm mixing up my years because I, I, I know I went to a game that we actually lost at the MCG, so maybe it wasn't 78, it might have been 77. I, can't, I, okay. I, I just know I was, like really, I was really young. Mm. Um, it's, a, it's a bit hard to, you know, yeah. it's like 30 years ago, whatever it is. Oh, 40, 40 years, years ago, ago almost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know, I know yeah. you know, mate, but no, it's... It's um and 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 from that I think you talk about your fate your, the game that you remember the most is in Dakes kicking nine against Richmond. Is he yeah. uh is is he your favourite player of all time? You think the favourite oh, Collingwood without, player? Without a doubt, like um the, the the opportunity to see his whole career is oh, I just feel privileged on the on the head chance to do it. I mean, there's obviously Bucks in the in the more modern day times is consistent superstar um, you know Pendlebury of, of this era but um, just just to see some of the things that Dacos could do um, on the on the ground it was just, just stunning I mean the goals he could kick yeah obviously unbelievable but like, people really forget that he won two Copeland trophies as a, as a midfielder 
mm. and his ability to just like weave through players like he wasn't overly blessed with pace Dakes but um, just his vision his, his ability to kick you know long on both sides of his body just unbelievable yeah I think yeah, Dake. I think yeah, you're right in saying that. I think Dakos gets under underrated as as how good a footballer he was as a midfielder rather than just small forward. I mean, he won a Copeland Trophy in 1982 and he played in the centre and he kicked 58 goals still. Yep. So. Yep, yep. And, and even, I think even in '88 when he won the second Copeland as a midfielder, mm. that was only uh, about 18 months after doing an ACL. Mm. So and you know the the, the recovery rate from ACLs. Back then, wasn't probably anywhere as you know, good as it is now. Yeah, I think. Yeah, no, definitely, especially probably with the the fact that they were semi professionals and they had jobs and things like yeah. that. And yeah, yeah he, he was a recu- he, he's definitely like this. The vision you see is is definitely you can just see the bloke was a genuine, genuinely mercurial footballer. Uh, and I yeah. reckon it's probably one of his. I think even one of the great games. I think you played a little bit of it on your Facebook. Is that? that final sort of great game he has round two, 1993 against Geelong, yeah. where he's basically on his last legs as, as a footballer and he still manages to kick eight. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and I think that shows that he was genuinely special. Like the guy literally could could barely run, um, could, you know, couldn't break stride, but he still kicked eight goals. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, okay, and even, even, that, even that day, uh, three of those eight goals were on his left foot. Mm. I mean, that's just... Just shows you how, how how great he was. Yeah, and I think he he was probably the first of the players that actually practiced both sides of his body, different types of kicks as well from different yeah. types of angles. Like you look at yeah, the players, I... you look at the players now. They they sort of when they're on the boundary, they do those sort of snap kicks and things like that. He was probably one of the first ones that had those different kicks on him um, as a yeah. footballer, didn't he? Especially kicking yeah. the goal. And um, like probably in the uh, when, when, I, when I started working in the, in the late 80s, I had the opportunity to um, actually get, get to get to training sometimes and, you know, just have a few beers at the social club. And then you'd actually see when, once training was over, even even that that later stage of his, of his career, he would, have, he would actually be practising those dribble kicks and those kicks from the boundary line. Him, mm. him and uh, Michael McGuan used to do a lot of that, a lot of that training. Yeah. Oh mate, he was—he was, de- was definitely a freak. I think he's one of those guys you just you look at and you think, wow, he—he he literally could have played in any year and he would have been an absolute star. Um, yeah. You mentioned Bucks and Pendles. Are there any other ones that you sort of you sort of look at as, as memorable players in your time? Uh, well, yeah, over the journey, I mean, um, uh, for, for for different sort of reasons, not not necessarily the, the best players of all time, but mm. the, the guys I really liked were uh, Brian Taylor. He had that sort of. You know, obviously the only the last Collingwood player to kick a hundred goals in a season, um, he and he had that sort of fiery sort of temperament um, that sort of attracted me. Um, Paul Williams was a, a, a I was a, a real big fan of. Um, loved the way he played and had had the opportunity to um, like meet meet, meet and, um, and and actually go out with Willow a few times. Great great bloke off the field mm-hmm. as well. Um, Scott Burns, like he's he's another one. Um, hugely underrated, I think, in the, in, the, in the whole sort of scheme of things in footy. I mean, mm. um, he just probably got there at the wrong time. He just like he got there like 90, 90, I think it was ninety five was his yeah. first year, mm-hmm. um, and then you know played through that sort of like that really tough period for Collingwood, the the, the Tony Shaw coaching years, yeah. um, and 
you know, and, 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 and just missed out in that, in that premiership. Like, that 2002 um, grand final, that would have, you know, obviously for Bucks and Burnsy and, and a few of those guys that played through that era, I mean, Mm. Um, just, it would have would have been so fantastic to see like you know Scotty Burns and Bucks playing a premiership together. Yeah, I think I think it would have been, and even guys like Pebs, Anthony Rocker, and, and those yeah. guys as well. He was there for a lot of you know the last few years of Tony Shaw as well, and and that sort of yeah. rubbish era. So it would have been good for those guys to get their flags. But yeah, I, I like those. I don't remember too much of Paul Williams playing for Collingwood, but I did yeah. like him when he played for the Swans. And yeah, I was a big Burnsy yeah. fan. I think Burnsy was criminally underrated in, in the football media. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of a bit like... You, do you have any sort of... Any left of centre players as well that you didn't mind? Like, I know that my sort uh, of... I like... I, at the moment, like, my favourite players are play for Collingwood. They don't play that often because one of them's injured and the other one's a bit inconsistent. But I love Braden Sire and Tom Langdon. And... Of, and, of the current day? Yeah, of the current day. But even of, even of like... Sort of the uh, early two thousands. Yeah. I used to I used to love Nick Davis, um, Leon Davis. Probably the players are yeah. a bit off off Broadway. Yeah, there was there was a, there was a guy. Um, he probably only played about forty odd games in the in the late eighties. Um, guy called Paul Rosonico. Yes, number, number thirty two. Yeah, Riz, Riz. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and he he was that sort of sort of had. Um, sort of touches of a bit of like Peter Dacos type sort of skills and he could do the mercurial. He just, he was very injury prone as well, unfortunately. Mm. Um, and I think, uh, I think we ended up um, uh, clearing him to, to Port Adelaide and he went to the sample. I think he had a pretty successful career in the sample, but mm. yeah, just, just, just wasn't that consistent enough at, at, at that VFL AFL level. But he, he was, he was one guy that was, yeah, sort of like off the radar, but I really liked back then. Yeah, okay. Because I reckon that's that's the thing that everyone everyone kind of has a couple of players like that that they they gravitate towards for those reasons. Um, yeah. So but those guys are always my type of players that I always I don't know for some reason I always like them. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, um, I know that you're a um, you're. What do you think about our current chances sort of going forward? Do you think that this year's probably, uh, if, if there is going to be some footy played at some stage, it's a pretty good year for us to have a crack and maybe win a flag or pinch one. Oh, yeah, them. I mean, you know, just just um, thinking from from a Collingwood supporter's perspective, as in a fan, that we're, we're not going to be probably able to, to go to any of the games or the finals. It'd be ju- just our luck that we actually win a premiership when we can't go and... Um, Celebrate it there in the ground, so mm. I think we're as good as chance as anyone to win it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I actually, I actually was thinking about this the other day when I think I think Big Bolthouse said, "Oh, well, there's no point in playing the season or finals if there aren't any spectators." And I actually thought to myself, I thought, "Oh, would would I actually be? Would you actually take a premiership and not? Would you take a premiership knowing that you wouldn't be able to go to one, or having oh, yeah, the, or having the opportunity I'm... to go but not, you know, but still not knowing that you'd win? I, I'd definitely. For me personally, I'd take one. <laughs> I don't know about yeah, you. I, I, I definitely like if, if you know they, they get the season up and going and they end up playing the remaining sixteen home and away rounds and everyone plays each other once. That's that's as, probably as pure and genuine as as a, as a season as you're going to get. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of obviously the, the, the fixture from year to year when it's twenty two rounds, it's very contrived. At, at least at least this year you're going to have a true 
fair fixture by everyone playing each other once, and you're going to have a normal final series. Mm. Uh, so whoever's premier, like this this concept of having an asterisk next to someone who's who wins it this year, I think is really flawed. Yeah, so do I. And I think if you have a look at um, if you have a look at sports. In America, like there has been certain times where Major League Baseball, the NBA, even the NFL have had lockouts of players, yep. and and they don't put an asterisk next to those premierships nah. or or those championships uh, as they call them over there. So I yeah. think yeah, I think anyone, as you say, it's probably the the most true reflection of a fair season uh, this season. Uh, but yep. ho- hopefully, yeah, ho- hopefully we we get on there. Now I know you've got another, you've got a. You've got. You also got a lot of like myself. You've got a passion for for cricket uh, in in the yeah. summer as well. You're a, you're a very much a footy in the winter, cricket in the summer kind of guy. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. You played for many years down at Williamstown Imperials, and you've been chairman of selectors yeah. down there. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How 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 did uh, how did that come about? And tell us a bit. Were you a batsman? Were you a bowler? What did you sort of yeah, do? Yeah, uh, I I did the batting just about the, the entire my career in juniors and senior cricket. Um, and dab- dabbled in a bit of um, off spin as, as um, I was a left-handed bat and, and dabbled with, with a bit of um, average off spin as, as most sort of uh, batsmen try to do. Mm. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, played played it played at um, a club called uh, Newport East or Newport A and A from um, the early eighties to the end of the nineties, and then I went, went and worked in Adelaide for work at the time, and then um, came back and. Unfortunately, that club folded just just through basically um, probably a lack of juniors coming through, and then a few guys from my, from that club ended up going to Williamstown Imperials and had a look at it. It was a good setup. Um, play right next to Williamstown Beach, the Botanical Gardens there, perfect spot to play cricket, the Fair Reserve, and yeah, really enjoyed my time there. Stopped, stopped playing, and then um, the guy who was coach. At the time, sort of approached me, and I, I did the chairman of selectors job through a variety of coaches for about six or seven years. Um, we got to two grand finals, and in that in that period, we only lost four games in two years, and, and but unfortunately, lost both grand finals. Mm. So, um, you, you think being a Collingwood supporter, I'd, I'd be getting used to uh, dealing with grand finals, but they were pretty bad, pretty hard to take. Um, but um, we ended up getting another coach, Lee Elmore, uh, probably was five, six years ago, and clubs on the right path. They've, they've put in a, a significant junior program, and um, yeah, it's the, we, we won a senior premiership, I think it was three seasons ago now, and played off in another grand final, unfortunately lost that this season, but um, um, well, we've got some good kids coming through. We, the, we won a junior premiership a couple of years ago, so um, yeah, hopefully... You know, obviously, local sport. You were saying about earlier in the, the with the amateurs and, and local footy. Mm. Um, hopefully, you know, cricket can can sort of start maybe in November. Probably, I'd say after the AFL because I can't see probably cricket clashing with the AFL. No, um, no. I think so, yeah. Um, I think I think yeah. That's that's awesome, and I love I love that sort of community involvement that you have have down there. Obviously, at Newport A and A and. Yeah, I think it's sad, but I think I assume that probably that period where you lived in Adelaide was probably a time where there was a bit of gentrification or a bit of change of demographics in that area, probably, and and it yeah. sort of shifted a little bit. But yeah, I think the only the only I must say the the issue that I have about cricket going back is um, from just a medical point of view, 
cricket's the sport where literally the most saliva and the most oh, spit man. and there's so much that goes on that ball. So it's if this is yeah. a viral disease, um, you'd want to be pretty careful uh, with what's going on. But how, how do you sort of, uh, I mean, what, what do you sort of, I think, as you say, it's important to have good juniors and stuff like that coming through junior career clubs. Do you reckon this, you reckon hopefully that uh, your club and, and other clubs will be able to survive in this period? Or do you think people will drop away? Like I've got the view uh, that actually people yeah, will miss well, all this stuff. I reckon people will want to go outside more. So people will, might be a bit more inclined to go back and play local footy or play local cricket. That's just what my view is. Do you share yeah, well, similar views? Yeah, I think so. Obviously, by actually not being able to go to like sporting games and, and, and to you know the MCG and whatever uh, Marvel, mm. that um, you know by the time the cricket season does come around, um, hopefully things have settled down and, and people are going to be able to participate in that in that local sport. And yeah, and they're they're going to be you know the the restrictions hopefully there have have, have been. Um, reduced to allow people to have those obviously what community community sport you, 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 you are likely to get probably more than 100 people watching so that's not going to that should be a factor and, and the people playing they're just got to just got to be smart about how they interact with one another you know like if you get a wicket or something like that you know you can't have people going hugging and hugging everyone you mm. know just just simple things like that but you know, it'll be just education the, the we're sure Cricket Victoria or, or Cricket Australia will have like guidelines on how you, how you're actually going to conduct the games. Mm. The people just if, if you if you want to play, you got to you got to you got to adapt. Yeah. You know, people, you, like from a work perspective, there's so many people working from home that never have done that, and and things things are still working smoothly. <clears throat> yeah, I was going to say you you're working from home. Just just touching on that. You're working yeah. from home. You've never done it before. Do you actually find it better, worse? Do you find it about the same? Do you find that it's okay or it's better than you thought? Yeah, I I I, I obviously enjoy the not having to travel um, daily. Um, not not that I'm that far from the city, but the, but just having 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 an extra hour back on each in the morning, the afternoon. You know, you've got a bit more time in your hands. Um, you do sort of miss. They're into activity with with staff in the office, but um, we've we've got like a WhatsApp group that we can we can send messages to with one another, and um, you know everyone's accessible on email, and you can well probably now I actually you know get on the phone a lot more and like ring 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 someone up, you know, it's, uh, as opposed to yeah, I used to almost exclusively do everything via email, so mm. because you haven't got that interaction, I'm more or sort of uh, keen to sort of jump on the phone and just say, you know, how are you going about something, and then and then actually um, talk about like the work issue that you've got. Yeah, and no, I, th- I think that I think that's probably what a lot of people are doing. A lot of people are doing a lot more chatting with their their work colleagues. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm with you, mate. I'm with you. I think that it's nice having that extra half hour hour every morning, every afternoon, just to do something else. It's yeah. a it's a it's a good little thing because it just adds time to your day that you never had before. So it's kind of yeah. it's kind of kind of cool in a way. You go outside, go for a walk, or do some cooking or washing or something. Yeah. It's it's a good little good little way to do it um, as well. Back on a back on a cricket, um, the Australian side. You follow. I know you follow the Australian Test cricket team uh, closely, yeah. and, and the Australian yeah. cricket side over over sort of your lifetime. Uh, there's been some great Australian teams. There's been some great Australian batsmen, bowlers, um, all round. 
uh, all-rounders as well. Who do you think's up there with probably your favourite or and, and your best of those, um, of the sort of the era that you've been watching cricket? I assume it probably goes back to the footy era, probably about 40 years or so. Yeah, yeah. I, um, first, first test match I, I went to um, was Australia-England um, 1978, mm-hmm. um, and it happened to be, I think it was Alan Border's first test um, at the MCG. Mm. And, um, yeah, and probably from that era, for a long time, Alan Border was, was someone who resonated for me. He was just someone I really liked. I was a left-hander. He was a stocky sort of guy, you know, really uh, courageous sort of batsman and, you know, really helped Australia through a, like that, that period where Lily Marsh and Chapel retired. And I remember... When Australia ended up winning that World Cup in 1987, it was the one-day World Cup. Mm. I just, I just remember like Australian cricket had been so poor, which for for for, for about five years to, to, to win that trophy was was just unbelievable. And that was basically on the back of Alan Border dragging dragging that team along. So he'd be probably right up there as you know, as one of my favourite players. But uh, probably like everyone else, you can't go past Shane Ward. Mm. I mean. Just, just the the excitement factor. Like, to any 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 time you turn the TV on or you're at the game, you everyone was just transfixed with what he could do. Mm. Yeah, I was a bit like that. I remember as a kid going to the G for one days and, and test matches. And yeah, you'd want you'd want Shane Warne to come on bowl because you just yeah. knew something would happen. Uh, yeah. he, he was yeah. just that sort of player, but. What, I love what you sort of say about Alan Board. I didn't see him play, but yeah, I think the way he, he handled himself through the 80s, which was obviously a really tough time. Mate, I found out I found out like six months ago, probably towards the back end of last year, that Australia actually didn't win a Test Match series for like five years, or, or no, yeah. a couple of years. And, and Mike Whitney actually, because I saw some footage of it, Mike Whitney um, blocked out an over from Richard Hadley. Um, yeah, I, yeah I, I, was, I was there that day. Yeah. Where, uh, I was sitting in the um, in the in the in the southern stand on the right right like a, right on the fence. Bay thirteen. Um, or were you at Bay thirteen? No, then? no. I would I would have been probably on the other side. Um, I was sort of uh, would have been, oh, I'd be probably maybe about Bay twenty or something. I would have probably like behind the behind the bowler's arm. Yes. On the, on the other side of the side screen. Yeah. Uh, and what and, and watched it from there, and yeah, that was that was amazing because like. Um, Obviously, Richard Hadley was was still a gun back then, and for, for Whitney um, and um, who I think was it McDermott. Yeah, Whitney McDermott. They yeah, blocked out two they overs. Had to hold out. Um, I mean, there was a couple of probably lucky LBW decisions that went our way. That was when you this was before you had neutral umpires. Um, but mm. uh, no, nah, it was it was it was a time where Australian cricket. Yeah, like when you think ten years later, how dominant Australia were, you you would have thought, well, how, how could Australia ever get that bad? Mm. Yeah, it, it's weird, isn't it? Because it just it, it just happened overnight. It was like Australia was a very dominant cricket side in the seventies, early eighties, and then mid eighties yeah. we were terrible, and then literally by the end of the by the sort of the mid nineties we were dominant again. It was kind yeah. of it just. I think it's probably a generational thing, but but. I think it's sort of a bit like now too, where that early two thousands, mid two thousand side was just so fantastic, and it was just a privilege to watch them play and win basically all the time. 
Uh, and and there's obviously been a bit of a lull over the last five or ten years, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, it seems is... like we're we're probably on the on the on the way back. I mean, we're, we're number one in the test rankings now. It's pretty tight, mm. but um, they've, think... they've um, certainly Tim Tim Payne, whilst not being probably the most talented cricket going around, he's he's brought a bit of respect back for the baggy green, and I, I you know really been happy for him to, to lead the country so well. Oh yeah, same. I think I think he's a terrific captain. Um, I think he's doing an extraordinary job. I don't know if you've watched that documentary, The Test. No, I, I haven't. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to get around it because there, there, there were reviews on it. Uh, yeah, awesome. I, won't, I won't spoil it for you, but yeah, basically it, it shows. Um, I think it shows his character really shining through in a lot of a lot of moments in that in that series, especially uh, during the Ashes series. Uh, just a very yeah. calm, um, yeah, respected, uh, calm, level-headed figure, uh, and I think that's probably what we needed uh, as captain during during the sort of last couple of years where it's been a bit tumultuous and we haven't had a couple yeah. of our best players and Smith and Warner playing. But that's uh, that that's sort of the unfortunate the unfortunate side of uh, what happened in South Africa. But uh, yeah, that, all that stuff. That Warner and Bancroft and, and Smith did probably will be a, will probably be legal. Some people are saying. Uh, yeah, I know. Which is uh, which is yeah, kind of a, a bit bizarre. But I think it, it probably shows that people that wanted them beheaded and you know banned for life and stuff were a bit had gone a bit over the top. But yeah, it's yeah. I never I never thought that we'd get to this sort of stage where that sort of stuffs. Uh, legal, but yeah, that, that just going back to that test series, uh, that was it, it's just it's a, it's a well produced doco, uh, and, and it, I think it shows shows some really good characters in the Australian side, and Justin Langer comes out of that um, really positively too, as as a coach and as a leader as well. Uh, although I couldn't couldn't quite get my head around why they had like eight assistant coaches, but anyway, <laughs> that's. It's a bit. It's a bit like footy, but I think cricket's a bit worse because there's only eleven players actually playing. You don't need yeah. seven assistant coaches. I don't know what you think, but I think that's. Well, that's I mean, kinda... I mean I, I, you think by the time you've got to that level of cricket that you don't need any technical training. You know, you you you, you should have the have the skills already. Um, but you know, they're they're. Um, I mean. They had so much money, Cricket Australia. I, I, I really question how, how they've lost so much money in, in such a quick amount of time. And maybe they did overspend in, in that whole coaching and, and um, sort of the conditioning area. Um, but, you know, mm. yeah, I, was... I, 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 I wouldn't have thought someone like, um, you know, David Warner, you know, who's played 10 years of international cricket, why he needs an assistant coach. Mm. Um I mean, I, I, would have, I would have thought it's better. You're better off um, funneling that sort of training down to the, the lower, you know, down to the district district levels, and you know, each each state, and make sure that the kids coming through have got got the training rather than uh, training the guys who are supposed to be the finished product. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's probably correct, and it's probably really hard now. I don't know if you've heard, but Cricket Victoria have basically banished all their pathways for the juniors and. Cricket Australia basically cancelled all the underage carnivals, the under fifteen and the yeah. under seventeen carnivals, because they don't have any money. Which is, I yeah, think, I think, I think, I think that's really frightening stuff. Um, because I think a lot of these kids are probably, 
you know, there's a whole pathway system that's been set up and then all, all, all of a sudden overnight it's just evaporated into thin air and it probably won't come back for a long, long time. But yeah, Cricket Australia, there's something going, there's something you missed there. You can't, you can't have it, you can't have a, a test summer against India, uh, followed by one against, uh, followed by one previously against England, where you make most of your money and you put that in the bank and then come out of this, where you've had a full season, so you've earned all your broadcast dollars and then have no money or have yeah. very little money that you've got to put all your staff on 20% pay and stand a lot of them down. I think that's that's uh, that's something that needs to be questioned a bit more. I wish uh, I wish these AFL football journalists who are financially illiterate as well would stop taking, you know, hostage videos of AFL players telling them what they're doing or, say, you know, showing them dance to TikTok and actually look at club finances and actually say, where did all the money go? <laughs> I think yeah. that's that's one thing at the moment in sports. Like, where'd the money go? Uh, businesses are doing it. Uh, sporting clubs need to do it, and they need to they need to be accountable to the fans. I think most importantly, yeah. And, 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 and the, 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 the frustrating thing, you know, we'll sort of, I'll, I'll flip over back to the footy side of things again. Mm. And, um, yeah. You know, at the moment, you have got like Collingwood, Richmond, the Eagles, and Hawthorne, who have got really good balance sheets, um, can can survive on their own, and yet. The, the soft cap is going to be uh, like football department spend is going to be brought back down. So, mm. like, where, where where are the clubs who have actually got this money? Where are they going to spend it? No, exactly. Like, I, 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 I agree with you. Know, you know, it's, you shouldn't just have like endless assistant coaches or endless conditioning staff. But if you've got the resources and you, and you can do it, well, well, where it should be. At the women of the club to say, okay, well, we want to invest back in our players who are our, our, our blue chip assets. If we want to spend X amount, let us do it. And mm. if we make the mistake, well, you know, then, then Collingwood or Richmond or whoever got to wear it. Um, mm. Instead of dragging everyone down to the lowest level. Yeah, exactly. I'm, uh, I'm with you, mate. You can't you can't drag the the top clubs down to the bottom and expect the bottom clubs are going to get better. You've actually got to yeah. get the bottom clubs something to strive for and. What's uh what really worries me at the moment is you know we're we're big Collingwood fans and Collingwood's actually relatively prudent with their finances most of the time and we've got a decent future fund there that's set up for that as well. Um, so I know Eddie's I'm not the world's biggest Eddie fan but he's done some very good things for Collingwood. Uh, but yeah, the AFL taking over club finances, which they are at the moment. Is just it sends a shocking message to me. I think it just basically says that we don't trust the clubs. Uh, yeah. We'd rather do it ourselves. And I don't know how you feel. I'm I'm sure you probably feel similarly. I do. But the AFL Commission, I don't think they've got the best interest of my football club at, at their heart. They've probably got the best interest of their league and their their own sort of league stakeholders. That sort of the AFL's created their own little pseudo uh, pseudo sort of market for themselves. Uh, rather than sort of being a, a head body for the league, for all the teams, they're sort of their own little organisation that do their own little things and the clubs sort of have to put up with it. I don't I don't really buy that, so I'm not I'm not too big on that at all. Yeah. Well, uh, it, 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 the, the, where we are at the moment, it really indicates that there's too many clubs in the AFL. If, if they can't survive uh, without, you know, the, the actual commission... Uh, propping them up each each year, 
that, that's the gist. Like the, the economies of it is that the game, the game can't service it. Um, there's too many clubs. Yeah, no, exactly right, and I, I agree, mate. And there's some clubs, like you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, a lot of people will pop me for this, but I look at a club like St Kilda and think you've been around for 130 years. Um, you've got no money. You spent. You know, 15 years ago, there was a couple of local councillors who didn't like the fact that they wanted to redevelop Moorabbin. So their CEO at the time basically shacked up with another council to build a whole facility out at Seaford. And it was such a shit facility. Um, it didn't even have a swimming pool. The players hated it. They moved back to Moorabbin basically because the players kicked up a fuss. And they made the government and the AFL fork out all this money to do it. Like, I don't think that, that, I don't think that's prudent. Um, no. and, and and I think that these sort of decisions should be looked at. Uh, I think I think at Collingwood even there's some there's some things that I don't think are necessarily financially prudent. But you know Collingwood isn't in a as perilous financial position as St Kilda is. Uh, Collingwood yeah. was once upon a time, but Collingwood basically told all their fans sign up as members, put your money where your mouth is, and this club will survive. And that's what happens. So yeah. it's not it's not it's not a hard model. 1998, John May and his mates, yeah. all, you know, they basically they basically pissed all this money up against the wall. They had no idea how to run a football club. Eddie came in, huffing and puffing, and Greg Swan came in too. And, and to their credit, you know, within three or four years, we were playing in grand finals and we were financial power of the AFL. And the AFL at the time, this is why I have no time for the AFL, is I've read stuff sort of saying that Collingwood actually asked the AFL for a loan and the AFL said no. Yeah, so, I know. I know. It was ridiculous. That, you know, that the only, the only, the only time that we actually needed some assistance, the AFL said no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy, and you know, they've given all this money to clubs like Carlton and so forth, who basically, you know, Carlton's similar to Collingwood. Carlton's a big club that basically gives a big middle finger to the AFL most of the time. They've helped Carlton out when they've needed to, but yeah, in Collingwood's hour well, of need, we didn't I, get any help. I don't see Carlton as a big club anymore. I, I, I put them in as one of the minnows now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's probably. Oh, well, back then they were. Back then they were, but they weren't. Uh, they, they're, they're no longer. Um, <laughs> they're no longer. They're no longer a big club. But uh, I, you know, it makes. I think the only thing I'm annoyed about is we want to get a few more wins so that we're we're ahead of them head to head over the next few years. Yeah, I think we we've caught up over the last decade, but we need to make yeah. sure that we, we need to make sure we get there. Now, speaking of other things, now you and I also share a common common love of um, hating people that have zero common sense. So there's there's a lot of people, mate. There's a lot of people out there that have zero common sense. Most of them seem to find their way into local councils, state politics, federal politics. Uh, mate, there's some, there's some absolute rippers, but. I'm actually I'm actually massively on the the turtle or the the hatters for Hobson City Bay Council because tell me what's going on there at the moment because you're um, oh. you're living in you're living in Altona North opposite Paisley yep. Park the home of the mighty Altona Magic who play in the National Premier League what's going on there mate have you have you had to take out some land from the neighbours have you had to rent some additional space to put your bins in? Uh, well, yeah, well, uh, at this current point in time, I'm actually just looking out into my um, front driveway there, and um, I've got um, five recycle bins. I've got a green one, I've got a yellow one, I've got a purple one, 
Uh, I've got a, 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 a just a fully dark green one that's for, for land waste, and I've got this little little tiny plastic tub for food scraps as well. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's just, I, the, the whole concept. I don't. The, the whole concept of recycling is is good. You know, I, mm. that's fine. I mean, the, the the premise behind it, but the implementation of what they've done, and it's, and especially with the with the COVID breakout, like we've got a landfill bin that got. Um, uh, what it was almost two two weeks ago now, um, and then after about three or four days, it's already full now because there's so many there's so many things that you can't put in the recycle bins now that have to go into the landfill. Mm. And with people like myself working from home, you're obviously generating a lot more waste because you're at home and you're not you know not not having lunches at work or whatever. You're doing more things at home. Um, yeah, just the 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 the, the council here at Hobson. They brought out this great idea that instead of um, putting back um, the rubbish recycle, the rubbish landfill from um, two weeks back to one week, which they which they always did, that their, their idea is that um, you can now get a bigger green bin. So how's that how's that really work for the environment? So the current green bin you've got, they're going to spend all this money, um, or wasting all this money on on new bins, and then you then you've got these existing bins, where are they going to go? Mm. Yeah, well, you know, they're going to go to landfill not, too, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, well, that's, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just madness, you know, it's, it's like a lot, of, a lot of these cancer people, they seem to have just like a really good thought bubble and they just go, they just go with it and then it's, you know, at, at the, at the literally expense of the, of the rate payers. Mm. And that's the thing you've got to, yeah. If you're a rate payer, you've got to you've got to pay for all this rubbish. Like you've got to pay to have an extra couple of bins, and you don't even get them picked up when you want. You get them picked up every two weeks instead of every week. It, it becomes a uh, it becomes a, a circus, doesn't it, mate? Like that, that's just how I see a lot of this stuff. It's just as you say, it's thought bubbles. It's probably a few people think it's a really good idea, but have no idea how it's going to play out in practice, and probably don't have enough practical experience. Um, I know that you know your one as as well. Like, what do you think about? Uh, what do you, what do you think about sort of some of our politicians that that make comments? I think because my view is that a lot of them just say stuff that they either don't believe in or don't really have a lot of conviction about, and it, they just, it just sounds half baked and stupid. And that's what yeah. And, I mean, and the other half of the time they just say stuff that's totally and utterly. Uh, wrong and, and, and dumb and it just comes across to the ordinary person as, as being tone deaf or quite out of touch yeah I I, I, um, I made this comment to a couple of friends last week that like at, at the moment you're looking at um, the, the, the federal government and the state governments across Australia with this whole COVID crisis mm. for, for once they're actually working collaboratively and they're actually working for the people there's, I think there's just there's too much, you know, on both sides of politics of the major parties, um, of too much just literal point scoring. Um, like obviously, when you're in power, the 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 people have actually voted for you to actually implement your pol- their policies. And whether you know whoever you support, whether it's Liberal or Labor, um, they've they've got a mandate to to govern. Mm. Um, and and unfortunately, what what's probably happened over the last 15, 20 years is that um, both parties have found try to keep everyone happy all of the time, which you can't do. Like, like I, 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 
you know, grew up in that, that um, period where, um, you know, Fraser and then Hawke and then Howard, you know, were, were, the, were the, probably the, the, key, the key leaders. Mm. And, but you, you exactly knew what they, what, what they stood for. And they, they implemented, you know, if, even if you, you didn't happen to like Malcolm Fraser or you didn't like John Howard, you, you, they, they had a strong opinion and they followed through with what they did. And, and Bob Hawke was the same thing. Mm. Uh, too, too often in recent times, there's too much middle ground and nothing gets done. Mm. Yeah, I, mean, I, I totally agree. I think that there's, there's not enough strong convictions amongst yeah. our uh, amongst a, a lot of our leaders, and that's probably why we get in these situations. Like, I actually don't even reckon. I even kind of bring myself to the point now that this this COVID thing in Australia, like overseas, it's 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 a massive health crisis. I actually think here it's a it's a massive political incompetence crisis. Uh, a lot of a lot of the stuff that we've done so far is relatively uh, basic, and we we've listened. I think smartly to the to the health experts who've kind of seen what's going on overseas and, and have sort of put in place measures. But there's some stuff that I sort of see day to day. I think, Jesus, that's just not smart. Like, why are they doing this sort of stuff? Like, I think early on there was a lot of sensationalism about the whole thing. And, yeah. like, even now, like, I know that everyone's still at home. A lot of people, st- most people are still working from home, right? There was a message about, you know, two months ago that was like, oh, we've got to flatten the curve, we've got to flatten the curve. And then over the last three, I think probably the last two, two or three weeks, people are like, we flattened this curve. Yeah. What are you guys going to do? And then yeah. they're kind of saying, oh, no, 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 but we've got to get to zero cases. And it's like, hang on a minute. You can't say that. Like, you can't just shift goalposts. And I think that, that's what they do. They, I think they, unfortunately, today there's, there's a bit too much. Uh, everyone tries to kick a goal whenever they can. So, you know, if you're 80 metres out uh, from goal, you're not going to be able to kick a goal, so you can't pretend the goal's are ten metres in front of you and kick a goal and say how great you are, because uh, you, you look like an idiot. But yeah, I, I think you're right in sort of saying that at the moment there's a bit more unity, which is nice. Everyone's trying to at least work for the for the benefit of the people rather than point scoring, which is which is nice. But what if if you're in if you're in uh, public policy at all? What were the three? What what are the three things you'd like to implement? Because I'd like to hear this. Because I reckon you're a voice of reason, a real man of the people. Uh, well, one thing in Victoria, I'd be getting rid of Mikey. Oh and, yes, uh, I forgot to mention Mikey. <laughs> yes, uh, and pe- people who uh, follow me on social media will, will know that from from uh, I'm, I'm 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 one who you've been banging on about this for ten years. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I've, I've always, like, I've always been like a process sort of person. Like in my working life, and even like when it, when it, like, when it came to like cricket and whatever, I try to like try to methodically work through something. And what really irks me is when something gets rolled out and it's just completely uh, incomprehensible the way they actually implement something, and it, and that whole my key, and it's still a debacle now that. It's, it's 2020 and you can't, other than say from, a, from, from an app that sort of works on some, some, some platforms, mm. that, that um, if you, if you um, top up online, it still takes three or four hours or five oh. hours for, for that money to transfer oh, in 2020. Oh, it's ridiculous. It's, oh, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Like, yeah. I remember I remember going to Hong Kong 2005 and they had, I think they call it an oyster over there or an yeah. octopus. 
octopus, I think, or oyster. And you could literally use this thing wherever, and it was automatic. And you could even go to the, you could even go to the Seven Eleven or wherever, and most of them had an octo. If they had an octopus breeder, not all shops did, but if you if you did, and it was you know five, but you know the equivalent of five Aussie dollars or whatever, and you had twenty on there, it would just take that off. So it was sort of like a debit card. And even like just basic stuff, like I know in Sydney, um, I think American Express said they they've got a partnership with uh, the Opal card up in Sydney or whatever with the New South Wales Public Transport, yeah. saying that. Yeah. Yeah. They said if you've got an Amex card and you just touch on whether it be your phone through your Apple Wallet or your actual card, that's fine. We will treat that. We will debit that as as the same as as if you had an Opal card. So you don't need to have two separate cards. So just just basic stuff like that. But yeah, as you say, like Mikey, it's cost over a billion dollars to implement. It was about five years delayed or six years delayed and actually being fully implemented. And it's still yeah. shit. It's still shit. Yeah. And and I, I I just I, I I just laugh if you go back if you go back to when when um that they were planning it right they said this ticketing system will be unique and revolutionary in terms of ticketing in in, in, in Australia and in the world I think they were trying to spruik it as now there's nothing revolutionary about it because under the old under the old paper met card system you could get a two hour ticket you could get a daily ticket. You could get a seven-day ticket, or you can get a twenty-eight-day or a monthly. Yearly, uh, right? Like that's exactly what we've got now, but it it, it, it is a card. So yeah. it's not like like if you want to get if you want to get a Mikey pass for twenty-one days, right? Say if you if you know you're going on leave for in twenty-one days' time, you have to get uh, three seven. Three, yeah, you've got to get three, three seven three, days. Three weekly, three weekly tickets. You cannot buy twenty-one days. And I, I actually, um, I rang up my key at the time, and I said, "Why can't why can't I buy um, eighteen days or um, nineteen days?" Oh, that's just the way it is. And I said, "Well, hang on, this was supposed to be revolutionary. What what what, what part of you know revolutionary is it? You're just doing the exact same as the old bet card." Yeah, exactly right. I don't, I don't, I haven't been catching the train in to work uh, anymore. But I remember that. I think from memory, this is last year. I think the the twenty eight day one cost I think one hundred and forty two bucks or something, and the seven day one cost forty nine bucks. So if you're buying three twenty ones or three seven day ones, it's going to be more expensive. Like it just doesn't. Yeah. You're, you're so right. It just does not make sense. Like the whole system, the whole yeah, system, as you say, is just totally backward. It it actually defies logic a lot of the time. It's always down. Um, yeah, it's. It it is. I think I think Mikey will go down as the greatest, uh, greatest sort of piss up the wall of, of public money in Victorian government history. Uh, and there's some pretty. There's a lot of like shit projects over the years that have blown out of budget or, you know, roads that haven't been built. But Mikey is just by far the worst in my view. It's just totally shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, that that'd be that'd be number one on my hit list. Um, what what what, a, what are number what a number two? What a, what's number two and, and number three? You reckon? Wastage I mean, crisis, don't we? We we don't have enough. We don't have, we don't actually have enough land. We don't have enough dump 
to, um, dumps to, to put all the waste in, do we? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's two, there's two things councils need to get right. It's basically get the roads roads right Yes. Um, and, and, and get the, the waste collection right. And I think you see, you know, you look at social media and there's so many complaints about those two core facets that they can't get right, but they're more worried about trying to change the world with, um, you know, lefty, stupid... Um, ideologies instead of actually implementing what they should be doing. Yeah, I'm I'm so with you on that. I think my basic, you know, councils should literally fix potholes, collect your rubbish, um, you know, cut trees, you know, cut the trees and stuff like that, and and mow the mow the local sporting grounds. That's kind yeah. of, and and you know, hold some community events. That's basically the basics of what a council should do. Um, yeah. There there shouldn't really be much more than that. And it's really sad, isn't it? Because you know, as a ratepayer, I'm not a ratepayer. I still live at home. Um, but I, don't, you know, I'm sure you, as a ratepayer, know that every year they don't ever reduce your rates, do they? They always bump nah. them up. And every yeah, year you probably up. look and you think, yeah, we don't, we're not getting as much, are we, for what we're paying yeah. for? Yeah, I think I, I was watching the news the other day, and they're, they're, they're saying some of these um, CEOs and councils are getting like $800,000 a year. I'm thinking, yeah. how are they justifying that sort of wage? Is like. You know, maybe you've got your they're accountable to share, you know, shareholders, and they they will set the they'll set the salaries of, of those uh, of those businesses. But this is a public organisation. Mm. There's no way they should be getting that sort of money. Yeah, I think that's that's one thing I've noticed over like the last ten years is there's been a massive spike in in public sector wages as compared to private sector wages. Yeah, and it and and sometimes you just look at it and you scratch your head and you think, oh really? Like, do they earn? Yeah, it's like the CEO of the local council earns eight hundred thousand dollars, and I'm sure they've got an important job, and I'm sure they're busy and they've got yeah. lots of things to deal with. But eight hundred thousand dollars is is a is a lot of money. Um, yeah. So you you'd kind of want to be making sure that they're they're pretty accountable for that for what they're earning. But yeah, as you say, you never really know, do you? What's your um? Yeah. What's your, what's your third one there? What's your third? I know I caught you doing the hot. I probably I would be looking into how much money and uh, return on investment are we spending on the whole climate change part of politics? Mm. Uh, because there's there's you know obviously I'm not denying that um, that man influences the climate, but um, to say that we're doing so much in comparison to what, what other factors are outside of it. And there's, there's just so much bullshit science out there. Um, and people, are, you know, pressing agendas, you know, to suit, suit their different um, causes. Um, yeah, that'd be something I'd be really looking into. I mean, thank, thankfully, um, when, there was a, when there was a change in federal government, that, um, there was a, that, that was really knocked on the head. Uh, but like even even state based, I think there's so much wasted money in, in that sort of area that, that you know doesn't doesn't need to be doesn't need to be spent. Yeah, I, I'm mate, you're the voice of reason for for a very good reason because I I completely agree with you on that. Like, there's a really good documentary. I think Michael Moore did it, and yeah. I think it's on YouTube. Yeah, I, I, I haven't actually I, I, haven't, I, I haven't seen it, but apparently in the first sort of half of it, he says. 
well, yeah, climate change is real, but all these like eco-friendly businesses and stuff and all these renewable energy businesses, they're basically, they're not 100% renewable. And most of the time, they're just spivs who are taking money off government for their own benefit. And yep. is it really actually... Ben- and, and he sort of poses the question, well, is it actually benefiting uh, us? What return are we getting? Uh, yep. And, and I, I'm with you on that. I think that there's... There's a there's a there's an absolute truckload of waste there, unfortunately. Where I think, you know, there's no denying that obviously we've got more people on Earth than we ever have before. So there's obviously going to be a more there's more resources that are needed. Uh, so there's obviously a fair bit of stuff going on, but it's not it's not. Uh, I mean, you've got to look at it from the point of view of do we actually need to be spending all this money on on all this stuff and, and who's it actually going to? Who's benefiting from this? Is it us, is it the consumer, the public, or is it, you know, a couple of fat cats? Yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, that's that's one thing, mate. There's, that's one thing. Now, before 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 I uh, before I let you go, uh, who who do you reckon? Um, what do you reckon the dumbest thing you've ever heard uh, someone in public policy is saying? I reckon I can sort of think of it off the top of my head. Comes based on it. Oh, you mean Sarah Hanson Dumb? Yeah. Uh, I think it was possibly five, five, six years ago, uh, trying to um, grill a um, defence um, services uh, person in a, in, a, in a Senate committee, uh, questioned um, the Border Control um, TV show, uh, which was on Channel 7, mm. and he answered the questions, and she tried to force the point by suggesting that um, the Sea Patrol TV show that was on Channel 9, which was actual a fictional TV show, she actually believed that was real. <laughs> now, if, that, if that's not the most ridiculously dumb um, comment put, put in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a parliamentary forum, mm. I'm gobsmacked if you're in it. She was fair to him. The, the, the look on her face when the when the guy from, from um, the defence forces come back to her and said, oh, you're talking about the fictional TV show, the look on her face and the other people, if, if you get the opportunity to have a look at the, the whole YouTube clip of it, it's just hilarious. Oh, and, 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 that, and, and that just sums up the Greens. Yeah. Like, they've, got, they've got this tiny little niche um, sweep of, of, of policy, but anything outside of that, they've got completely no idea. Yeah, mate, I'm I'm totally with you on that. It's it's I've seen the full clip and it's absolutely hilarious. And 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 not only does she she think that it's real, but she bangs on about it too. She actually she actually um I think the worst part of her as as I sort of saw it was the fact that she she was actually dumbfounded when she she found out it was fictional and then tried to keep banging on the point that the show she thought the show was real. Um so I think she either needs to go. She needs to need to do some better research or, or get some better staff to do some some more yeah. research for her because yeah, you don't want to be doing that sort of stuff. But yeah, unfortunately, I think sometimes there's uh there's there's uh there's probably a bit of a uh, a brain drain in, in people uh, sometimes in public policy, which is why we've got some of the people that we've got. But uh, yeah. it, it is what it is. But look, David, well, I'm gonna, I'm, David, it's been a Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. 
Uh, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, I hope everyone out there has enjoyed listening to it. Thank, thank you very much, Ross. All the best with the rest of the podcast, mate.